Welcome back to the Brave Girls Gather B1 Studies Podcast. Hi! That's my brave girl, and you're listening to Episode 9, the teaching from the study content of Week 8. As we wrap up the book of Hebrews tonight, I wanted to again, as I usually do, start with a story. When I was in high school, I was a runner, and you might have read about that this week in the study. I did not like to run. I just discovered that I could run because I was a cheerleader and they said that if you're going to prove that you're an athlete, you have to letter in another sport. And the best sport that lined up with our cheerleading schedule was cross country. And as I ran cross country, I learned that I could run. And then I got recruited by the track team. And I, again, I did not like to run. But what I did like is I liked to win. And so in my track running, I learned a lot of great principles about life. And I didn't recognize in those moments where I was learning these things, how they would impact my life today. But something that my track coach would do is he would stand in the middle of the field as we would run and he would coach us and he would tell us when we felt the pain coming on, he would tell us to keep going, that those were the moments that we were going to tap into a strength that we didn't know we had and we were going to run faster than we ever thought we could. He talked about slow twitch muscles and fast twitch muscles and the time for those fast twitch muscles to turn on is in that last run for the finish. And so those principles have taught me today how to keep pressing on. I believe that my brain started to see pain as a point you press on in. It's not a point you stop. And so as we get into the book of Hebrews tonight, as we're we're finishing up and looking at chapter 12, get out your Bibles and open them up. Get out tonight's handout and have it right there with you. We're going to spend a lot of time in the actual book of Hebrews in chapters 12 and 13, but your handout is also just a great piece to have there and reference some other verses and write some notes on. So your first fill in the blank is we must drop the weight. We must drop the weight. And I'm not talking about physical weight, although I know like right now during this whole COVID thing, we're trying not to put on that COVID-19, right? Food tastes really good right now. It's, it's becoming a source of comfort in some ways. I know for me, I'm not sure about you, but when I went grocery shopping this week, I had to not buy some things because they are just too good. And they're just sitting there and they're just talking to me and telling me to come and eat them. But I'm not talking about food. I'm talking about what it says in verse 1, the sin that so easily can trip us up. You know, maybe part of this time that we're in is God asking us to let go of some things. And I also want to make sure that I'm clear to say that sometimes good things can be things that God is asking us to let go of because they're not things that he's asking us to continue having in our lives. And if we're going to run with endurance, we have to let go of some weight. You know, runners understand this. They buy the special clothing, the special shoes. They know that they have to lighten their load if they're going to be an effective runner. And I believe that that's what this passage is telling us. We got to let go of some things, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And, you know, sometimes sin is not obvious to us. I believe the enemy is very crafty. He wants to veil our eyes from seeing our sin. You know, some sins, they just stand out. We're like, that's sin and that's got to go. And I got to work through that. And I got to surrender that and confess that. And that's a problem in my life. 
And we work through those things, but I believe that the ones that can be the most dangerous are the ones that we don't see, like bitterness or pride, you know, feeling a little bit too highly of ourselves or envy, you know, wanting something that someone else has, resentment, allowing something to really get to us and start to eat away at us. Or little ways, anger, how anger can seep in and just kind of pass by us in a way that we don't see it. And that's why it's so important that we're continually putting our heart before God. And that considering that this faith is like a race, spending time in training, spending time in God's word, spending time putting our hearts before God and saying, hey, God, examine this. You know, we've learned that the word examines us and we've learned that the word is a sword and it comes in and it purifies us and it points to the things that need to go. So spending time in God's word and spending time with our hearts before God, practicing confession. You know, I have a a really close friend of mine and we have what we call confession sessions. And I, I really love this friend because she really holds me accountable to this. When we haven't talked in a while, I'll get a message from her and she'll say, hey, listen, I just think that that the Lord is wanting us to talk and we need to put something on the calendar and we need to talk. And a lot of times in those sessions, I will just need to unload things on her. And sometimes God will just put something on my heart and I just know I have to talk to someone about this. I have to get this off my chest so that the root of sin doesn't get down in the dirt of my heart and start producing some ugly fruit. That's the best time to address our sin is when we first recognize it and speaking it out loud, you know, taking the teeth out of it by being able to confess it and put it in the light of Christ to gain his strength, to step up over it. Uh, This very friend actually is so interesting on Friday of last week. She posted on social media a a little post in regards to Hebrews 12.1, and that's exactly where we were starting in our study. And I thought it was very timely, and so I wanted to share with you what she wrote. But first, I want to read Hebrews 12.1. Uh, Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. And that's what I'm talking about. Sometimes the weight, it's not an obvious sin, or it doesn't even have to be sin. It can be something good that God asked us to do in a season, but now he's asked us to let go of it because he wants us to run with something else or for something else or to something else. And so it says, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And so this is what my friend put on social media. For those of us who believe in Jesus, the saintly witnesses who encircle us like clouds. You see in verse 1, in our version that we read, it says a huge crowd of witnesses. But in other versions, it says a cloud of witnesses. And I like to kind of picture that cloud as the saints up there that have gone before us, kind of like eating popcorn and sipping on some Coke and just kind of watching what's going on, maybe like hiding their eyes sometimes when it gets a little scary. Uh, with what they're seeing. But anyway, what my friend said is, the saintly witnesses who encircle us like clouds are not just our biblical ancestors, pioneers, and martyrs. They are also our family and other loved ones who've gone before us, knowing that in heaven, we've got our own cheering section, rubbing elbows, so to speak, with these kind of spiritual giants, history makers, and heroes cheering us on and rooting for us as we do life here on earth is seriously inspirational and comforting.
comforting. Have you ever considered that? Have you ever thought about you have a cheering crowd in heaven? You have your own section that's watching you and cheering you on. Uh, You know, they know it's hard. They know that you're going to walk through things that are difficult because they've walked through it themselves and they're cheering you on to keep pressing on to not stop when it's painful, but to use pain as an indicator to press on. You know, this week I had some things that kind of resurfaced in my life, some things that I thought that we had moved past and it was painful to walk through that again. And I remembered the very things that I've been reading and writing about and that that pain is just, it's the indication to move forward. It's the indication that you're going to find something in this that you didn't know you had. You're going to find a new strength that you didn't even know was there. You know, in running, it's a breakthrough moment. It's a moment where you're going to access um, muscles and tendons that weren't yet operating. And life is a lot like that. When we walk through these difficult things, we get strengthened. We find these new places within us that make us stronger. And we learn how to walk in those and use those. And so verse two and three gives us five things that we can do to press on when it's hard, when it's painful. The first thing that it tells us is to keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion, the champion, I wear my champion shirt, who initiates and perfects our faith. And I also wore this shirt to remind you that you are a spiritual champion and to consider that, that you are a champion following the champion. And this verse tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus because he did it. He pressed through the pain to get to what was on the other side. In the second part of this, it says that he set his eyes on the joy before him. He endured the cross because of the joy that was set beyond the cross. And so this tells us that we need to set our eyes on the joy before us. You know, a lot of times we look back, even in this time, we can be looking back. We want things to go back to the way that they were. And God's like, no, look ahead. I'm doing a new thing. We're moving into something different here. And so I need you to look forward. And you know, when it's painful, stop looking back, start looking forward, start looking forward to what I have in store. Set your eyes, put those spiritual eyes on what I'm doing right now and what I'm going to be doing when you come out of this. So you can be the person who I've made you to be in this. And we can look all the way forward. We can look a little bit forward and we can look all the way forward into heaven because that is our great end. And that's what Jesus was looking at. And because of that, he endured the cross. That's the third thing that this lets us know is that we can endure through the difficult. When it gets difficult, we need to endure through. When it got difficult, when it got painful, Jesus endured through it. And then the fourth thing that we get out of these two verses is disregard shame. It says that Jesus disregarded the shame of the cross. And so there are things in our life that may be deemed as shameful or We might feel like we're looked down upon because we make a certain decision or we do a certain thing. And that is something that we need to disregard. When we're feeling that way, we need to let that go and set our eyes on the joy that is set before us as Jesus did. And it says in verse two, he is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So as we keep our eyes on Jesus, he's perfecting the faith that he initiated in us. 
In verse 3, it says, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. And so that's the fifth thing that we can do to endure past the pain is we can think of Jesus in all that he endured from sinful people. And then it says, we're not going to grow weary and we're not going to give up. These are the things that we do to press on. And so when we feel like, you know, people are hurting us or coming against us, that's one of the biggest pains that we can endure is relational pain in our lives. And so when those pieces happen, we look to Jesus and we go, you know what? He endured it. He was slain, he was slain by it. And so we have not yet given our lives because of sin. And he gave his life. He endured the things that were coming against him enough and to the point that he was willing to give his life. So let us consider that so that we don't grow weary and that we don't give up. In verses 5 through 13, it talks about God's discipline. And, you know, discipline is never anything that we really want to talk about, uh, but it's something that we need to talk about because it's a good thing. And that leads to the second fill in the blank, which is God's discipline proves his love. God's discipline proves his love love. It says that God's discipline proves that we're legitimate children. And in verse seven, it says, as you endure this this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children who have, who's ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father. If you have children, you know, if you have parents, you know, discipline is a part of parenting. And the more we love our children, I try to explain this to my kids, right? I tell them that love obeys and love also disciplines. And so, I discipline you because I love you. I have boundaries. I have things that you can do. I have things that you can't do. And there's consequences for when you do the things that you shouldn't. And I'm trying to teach them that if they can obey me, then they're going to have a lot easier time when they move on from under my husband and I obeying God. Uh, My daughter came to me the other day and she told me, she said, you know what? I have this, this app that she plays on her iPad and it's a social app where it's these cute little characters, but they can talk, but it's very protected and there's only certain things that they're allowed to say. It doesn't let them say a name or anything like that. But she said, I think some people on there might be adults. And I said, well, you know, kind of my eyes got wide and I said, well, why? And she said, well, because uh, every time I go on there, they're on there. I mean, every time, I, whether it's in the morning or whether it's at night, they're always on there. And I was just thinking if they have parents, then how are they on there all the time? And I thought that was a very interesting observation. And I, I was also able to explain to her, of course, we don't know who's on the other side of that iPad playing that app, but What we do know is that sometimes there are parents who don't have as strict of guidelines, who don't have as much discipline in their home, who may allow their children on their devices a lot more than you're allowed on it. And the the restrictions that we give you, they aren't because we want to give you consequences or just kind of make life hard for you. It's we want to teach you how to be disciplined. And then I kind of thought as I walked away from that conversation, like during this COVID time, you know, our kids, I don't know if you have kids, if your kids are getting maybe a little more screen time than normal, but I was just wondering if some kids were out there talking about my daughter and how she's always on. I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, You know, we're just doing our best in these times. Uh, But verses 10 and 11, it it gives us the reason for his discipline. It says, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. He wants us to share in his holiness. And then it says that we're going to reap a harvest. He wants us to reap a harvest. It says in verse 11, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way, a peaceful 
peaceful harvest. We're looking for peace, right? We want some peace in our lives. And just like when earthly parents discipline their children, they're doing it because they want them to benefit from right living in a disciplined life. God's the same way. He loves us. His discipline is a sign that he cares. And you know what? Doing right sometimes gets wearisome. Doing right all the time can feel hard. When we can't turn to the things that we maybe used to turn to to help us cope. You know, my life before Jesus, I turned to a lot of things that I shouldn't be turning to that were producing a harvest of havoc in my life. And you know what? Not turning to those things can sometimes feel difficult and hard. Always turning to Jesus. I know that turning to Jesus is what I'm supposed to do, but that doesn't mean that it's always easy. And so I love what it says in verse 12. It says, take a new grip. Take a new grip. When you're holding on, you're you're just gripping on and your knuckles are turning white. You're like, I just can't anymore. Just kind of readjust your grip. What does it look like right now to readjust your grip? And in verse 13, it says, mark out a straight path for yourself. And this is referencing a passage in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26, where it says, give careful thought to the paths for your feet. And so it's just saying, don't haphazardly try to figure this thing out. Don't just like wake up every day and be like, okay, let's go today. No, we have to have a plan. We have to mark out a path for our feet. And again, that comes back to our time in the word, our time with God, dreaming with God, creating vision with God, talking to God about where we're struggling, talking to God about where it's hard, talking to God about where he wants us to go, the next step he wants us to make. What does he want us to let go of? You know, God is faithful. When we're not walking in the ways that he is wanting to, he, he's faithful to come along with his discipline and just kind of let some things be taken away. And that is painful. But when we mark the path for our feet, when we spend the time with him, he begins to show us what we need to do next so that he doesn't have to kind of like pick up our foot and put it there, right? He shows us and then we get to walk with him. And that's a little less painful. And in verse 14, it says, we are told to work, to work at, we are told to work at living in peace with everyone. That leads us to the third fill in the blank where it should say living at peace with others takes work. Living at peace with others takes work. Just like that was a lot of work getting that out of my mouth. Uh, it takes work, you guys. Peace, Living at peace with others isn't something that just kind of happens. It's something that we actually have to work at. We have to fight for unity with others. We have to fight for our relationships. We have to fight to keep our heart right. We have to fight where it says to not let a bitterness root grow down. In verse 15, it says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. You see, a bitter root can grow. And when it grows, it grows up to cause trouble. And then it says it can actually corrupt many. Because you know that when we have a problem with somebody, we like to talk about it. And sometimes we don't talk about it the way that we should. 
And that brings others into the mess for the wrong reasons. It brings others into it for the wrong reasons. We want to talk about it. We want to get it out, but we want to get it out with people that we trust, with people who are going to speak wisdom into this situation. You know, I had this relationship, this really super close relationship in my life, and um, it, it was really, really difficult. And part of what made it so difficult is the way that I saw it. And the way that I viewed it was kind of how the world told me to view it. You know, the world tells us to see some things in a certain way. And if that's what we're listening to, and if that is what is creating our ideology of how we're going to approach something or view something, it can trip us up. It's really important in those places when we're really struggling in a relationship, especially relationships that are super close to us, that we seek God in that. And we seek to find and discover how he sees that relationship. And when we can see it like he sees it, it can shift our entire perspective. So this this turned from an area of deep pain for me to a place of becoming set free. And the relationship didn't change. And the relationship still exists today. But it did not change. But the way that I saw the relationship changed. And the peace that comes from God, the peaceful heart of right living when we work at peace with others is something that, can't quite be compared to when it comes to relationships in general. It doesn't mean that the other person has said that they're sorry. It doesn't mean that the other person um, is treating us the way that we should be treated all of the time. But it means that in our hearts, we're at peace with it. In our hearts, we're at peace with what we need to do. You know, we are at peace because we've made the amends for what we've done wrong. And we've forgiven those who we need to forgive, even if they haven't asked for forgiveness. And I'm not saying that that means that we have to expose ourselves to a particular relationship that causes us grief or pain. There's such thing as boundaries. Boundaries are a great thing. They're a wonderful, amazing thing that is greatly needed. But there are some relationships that it's hard to do that. Uh, Maybe you live under the same roof as a relationship that's difficult for you. And so that's the relationship where you really need God to grant you a new perspective. He's, He's able to do that. And he's able to help you set the boundaries into place that need to be set, even if that relationship is close to you, so that you can love that person well while also protecting your heart. And, you know, sometimes pity parties aren't very helpful. You know, when I have been in places where I've been in a relationship struggle, I know that there's people I can call who will just feed all of my pain and will just tell me everything that I'm doing is just so right and wonderful and good. And that other person is just bad. But I know that there have been times where I needed to call the person who I knew was going to tell me the truth. You know, the person who was going to speak a new perspective, help me see what God sees and challenge me in the ways that I was seeing it that weren't helpful for me. In some versions um, of the Bible, this section that we are in right now is called a call to listen to God. And I just find it so interesting that so many times in the book of Hebrews, we're called to listen. We're called to pay attention. Again, at the end of the whole book in chapter 13, it says, pay attention to everything that I've said. And this is a call for us right now to pay attention. We are in a season where God is moving and things are happening beyond what we can see with physical eyes. We've talked about that. And this is is not a time to just kind of let things go, but to really walk in step with God and listen for him and pay attention to what he's doing during this time. 
In verse 18, it says, For you have not come to a physical mountain like the Israelites did, uh, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites encountered at Mount Sinai. That's not where we've come. And then we begin this list in verse 22. There's this list of what we have come to. And what we've come to is Mount Zion. We've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. This is what we come to. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God himself who is the judge over all things. You've come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. And then finally, here it is. It says, you have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. We have come to Jesus and it is a magnificent, glorious place that we have come to. And I think that we can get so distracted by our trials and our pains and our frustrations that turn into grumblings and we can forget this magnificent gift of what Jesus has done. You see, we've spent so much time talking about the gift of Jesus and how Jesus makes everything better and how Jesus is better in every situation and how in Jesus we get to come into the presence of God himself. And now, now that we've kind of understood all that as we've walked through the book of Hebrews, now we're called into these places to take action, to pick up these truths that we've learned and step forward in faith with them. And in verse 25, here it is again, it says, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. It says, when God spoke, the earth shook and he's going to shake the earth again. In verse 27, it says, this means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. The only things that will remain are the things that last forever. And so my question for you right now is if if you could just envision that everything around you just got shaken. I want you to consider what are you left holding If everything were shaken right now, what is left in your hands? What are the unshakable things that you are holding to right now? The unshakable things are the things that last forever. These are the things that need our focus, our time, and our attention. And in verse 28, it says, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. And there's just a peace in that, right? There's just a peace when we just see the chaos in the world right now that we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. In verse 29, it says, our God is a devouring fire. You know, Jesus, he is our mediator and he stands between us and God. It's kind of like in a family, you know, how maybe you can picture when you were growing up, maybe there was like one of your siblings who just really was able to present well to your parents. And whenever you guys were trying to convince your parents to do something, you would kind of send them in 
or maybe even like right now, and I can picture our family, my husband and I, we have certain children who we can speak better to. And I just know when it's time to send my husband in, like you speak that child's language, it's time for you to go. And I just kind of envision Jesus as that sibling who speaks God's language, who stands between God and us. God sees him and God sees what he's done. Instead of seeing our sin and our uh, failures, he's seeing Jesus and he's seeing what Jesus has done. And Jesus is standing there for us. But not don't let us forget who God is. Do not let us forget that God's going to shake the earth and all the unshakable things are going to go. That is the God that we serve. And we want to look at him with awe and wonder. We want to honor him. We want to worship him like the God that he is. You know, in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18, there's this story uh, about the prophet Elijah. And the prophet Elijah is living during this time where there's a lot of idol worship going on in the northern kingdom of Israel. And he calls the prophets of Baal. Baal is one of the false gods that they're worshiping. And he calls the prophets of Baal to, calls them to come to kind of a challenge. And he says, you know what, let's see whose God is real. And he has them get a sacrifice, get a bull. And he tells them to place the bull on the altar. And, and what he says, it says right there on your handout in verse 24, it says, the God who answers by fire, he is God the God who answers by fire. And so he is telling them to call down fire. If your God is so real, have your God call down fire on the sacrifice that you've placed on the altar. And so they do it. And they're calling out to the name of Baal and they're they're pleading and they're kind of dancing around the sacrifice and nothing is happening. And Elijah kind of starts to taunt them. He says, you know, is your God sleeping? Like maybe he went on vacation. I don't know what's going on with you guys, but it looks like, you know, nothing's really happening over there. And so they really start taking it to a whole other level. They start cutting themselves, which is something that they did in that time. And nothing happens. It says there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And then it says that Elijah repaired the altar of God and he took a stone from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to make the altar. And then he laid the wood down and he laid the sacrifice on top of the wood. And it says that he dug a trench out around the altar. And then he went, he got some large jugs of water. I just love this. And he pours the water on top of the sacrifice. And so if you could just envision this, he's been taunting the the other team per se, and now he's going to pour water on top of the wood and the sacrifice. And he's built a little water trench around the altar. And this is his faith. This is how much that he believes in his God. And later on, it says, we learn that it says that he did exactly what God commanded him. But then it says at the time of the sacrifice, at the time of sacrifice, you see, there's a time for us to act. There was a time of day when the sacrifice was generally given and Elijah waited for that time. There's a time for us to take the right step. And it says in that verse, in verse 26, it says, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. He said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know you are God and you are turning their hearts back again. And then it says, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and it licked up the water in the trench. Our God is a devouring fire. 
When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The God who answers by fire, He is God. And God answered by fire. And those who were watching believed that He was the Lord. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came down as a flame of fire. We hold through the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the devouring fire inside of us. When we go about living our lives and others see, our lives declare that God is who he says he is. That leads me to the fourth fill in the blank. In chapter 13, it's called concluding words. And the fourth fill in the blank is our lives become living sacrifices. In this chapter, it talks about the sacrifices that please God. And he he outlines, the writer of the Hebrews outlines the things that tell the world that we are living for something greater than what we see. This is not our home. We are living for an eternal home, a home yet to come. So it says in verse three, it says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. And it says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. A few years ago, I was part of an event that was being hosted here in Tampa. It was a women's event. And I was going to the venue a couple of weeks before the actual event because I wanted to do a prayer walk. I wanted to walk around the venue and pray over the space and the women who would be coming. And I remember arriving that day and there wasn't a lot of people out. It was Martin Luther King Day and the event space, they had a coffee shop, but they were closed for Martin Luther King Day. And I really appreciated that they were doing that. So there just wasn't a lot of hustle and bustle. There wasn't a lot of people. This was in downtown Tampa. And what there was, what I did see is I began to walk around the building as I saw a homeless woman. And I felt God stirring my heart to go over and talk to her. And so I did. I approached her and I began talking with her. And as we began to wrap up our conversation, I said, you know what? I'm doing a prayer walk right now. And I'm just curious. I'm just wondering, is there anything in your life that needs prayer? So as I walk around this building here, maybe uh, there's something that I could pray about for you. And she said, she said, yeah, yeah, there, there is something. She said, would you pray that when people see God's creation, when they look at the flowers and the trees and they hear the birds chirping, that they would worship him, that they, that they would love other people, that they would live in a way that the next generation would see God and know that he is God. And I was astounded. That was not the answer that I was expecting to hear. And so I walked away from her and I began to walk around the building and I began to see the aspects of God's creation as I was walking around that building. And I just began to worship him. I began to worship him for the beauty of the sky, for the beauty of the trees. You know, we live here in Florida and we have palm trees for the beauty of the palm trees. I began to thank him for creation. As I walked around that building, I just began to worship him. And as I worshiped him, I could just feel the presence of God all around me. And it reminds me of that verse to to worship God with fear and awe. And then as I, I was coming around the building, she yelled out to me. She said, tell God that you love him. Tell him that you love him. She was coaching me on praying. This is a homeless woman coaching me on the right way to 
come into the gates of the Lord. And I'm just astounded. And I did it. I did. I started saying, God, I love you. God, I love you. You're awesome. God, I love you. And I just felt more and more encapsulated in the love of God. And in Psalms 100.4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. When we're coming in, when we're bringing our requests before him, let us have a heart of thanksgiving. Let us worship him in awe. Let us be astounded simply by the way that creation looks. Let us know how much, let him know how much we love him, how much we appreciate his presence in our life, our relationship with him. And it says, remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. You know, sometimes when we hear about painful things, especially in other parts of the world or maybe in matters that we feel don't really pertain to us, we don't want to feel that pain, right? We want to shut that down. That's That hurts. But God is saying if we're doing this right, we should literally feel their pain in our own bodies. We should grieve in such a way with others that we can feel the pain of their experience. And I believe that that gives us the response of God. It turns our prayers into compassionate, powerful prayers for those people. It says that we should remember those in prison as if we were there ourselves. Thinking of those who maybe are even in a spiritual prison. Maybe those who are even trapped up in their own situations. Instead of judging those situations, maybe we're supposed to just take a moment to try to understand what it feels like to be in that situation so we can respond with the compassion and love that can help them through that situation or lift up the prayer that's going to give them the breakthrough that they need. It says, give honor to marriage, remain faithful to one another, don't love money and be satisfied with what you have. Man, is this a time where we are learning whether or not we are satisfied with what we have? I think so. And God says, Be satisfied. Be content with the things that you have, trusting that I will be faithful to provide you with everything that you need. He's going to give us what we need. And in verse 9, it says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was the God of creation. He's the God sitting on the throne today. And he's the God of eternity. So it says don't be distracted by strange new ideas And it says our strength comes from God's grace, not from rules. You know, as we're looking into how are we going to move forward, what steps of faith is God asking us to make? We're talking about these things that evidence a holy life. Let us not forget that our strength comes from the grace of God. It doesn't come from following rules. Following rules is exhausting. I have literally exhausted myself trying to be good enough, trying to run hard enough because I'm doing it in my own strength. And so every day, and sometimes multiple times a day, we have to remind ourselves that our strength comes from the grace of God. The things that we're doing should come from a place of resting, of leaning back into God's grace. And then in verse 15, it says, These are the sacrifices that please God. A continual sacrifice of praise, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and share with others in need. When we live our lives this way, we're laying down a sacrifice that the fire can fall upon. We're laying down a sacrifice that the devouring fire of God can fall upon and consume. And a whole 
book wraps up starting in verse 20 with a prayer. And I want to speak this over us as we wrap up tonight. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you the power of Jesus Christ. Every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. In the very last verse, it says, May God's grace be with us all. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this journey. We thank you for this time together. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed the teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast by hitting the subscribe button. You can also share it with your friends by copying the link for this episode. And we welcome you to join us back here next week for the final episode in the Better Word series.